Welcome in, everyone, to a new episode of the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damien here with my co-hosts, Matt and David. Uh, we got a jam-packed episode today. Carlos Correa finally made his decision. Uh, we have uh, the Tigers announce some uh, field dimension changes. Uh, Robo-umps are coming to the minor leagues and uh, a lot more. But before we get to all of that, Matt, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, had, a, had a good couple of weeks here and uh, just, uh, just hanging out. Um, it's uh, I guess we did an episode after the new year, so just uh, yeah, uh, kind of the more boring part of the off season. Although Korea did technically happen in the last two weeks, uh, that was a that was a saga to say the least. But uh, not a ton of baseball news going around. But we we've, we've been able to pack this episode full of stuff. So excited to bring it to you. How uh, how are you doing, David? I'm doing good. You know, it's been a a bit of a busy two weeks, doing a lot of work and. Uh, you know, trying to get some other things settled, and um, but it is winter time. It is, uh, you know, baseball's not on the mind at this point, but I'm starting to feel the itch and getting ready for spring training. And I think it's uh, right around a month until pitchers yeah. and catchers report to Arizona. So uh, starting to get uh, to where I'm, I'm thinking about about baseball, thinking about spring training. How you doing this week, Damian? I'm doing uh doing pretty good myself, you know. Like you said, staying busy. I uh, just watched a really good chili bowl this past weekend, which I have I always enjoy watching that. It's a it's a pretty nice race. But like you said, it's baseball seasons. You know, quickly approaching. Uh, we're starting to see you know the fan fests or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I know the Cubs had theirs this last mm-hmm. week. Um, the Dodgers ones here in a couple weeks. I'll actually be going to that. Um, so it's, it's quickly approaching and we're getting to, to pitchers and catchers. So the last minute moves of the off season are, uh, are coming upon us, but, uh, you know, let's go ahead and start with the big saga we had. And that was the, the Carlos Correa, um, the twins, uh, met Carlos Correa's giant asking price finally. Uh, so David and Matt, Carlos Correa signs with the twins for six years, $200 million, uh, there is a vesting option in there for multiple different years. Uh, that is for four years, seventy million overall. The deal, I believe, can be ten years for two hundred and seventy. Yeah, I can start with it. Um, we've talked a lot about Carlos Correa. Um, obviously, the Mets had the same issue that the Giants had. Uh, they just made it a lot more of a saga and a public disaster because their owner was talking about it, and they um, were going on to it for like three weeks, whereas the Giants kind of found the issue and immediately kind of cut ties. Uh, But Carlos Correa decided, hey, you know, I don't want to take all these concessions in my contract that the Mets are offering. So I'll go back to the Twins, which honestly, I I always felt like the Twins were a little bit more in this than people realized. I think Carlos Correa actually enjoyed his time in Minnesota. And I always find him as kind of a guy who it feels like it would benefit him to be like the face of a franchise rather than be another guy in a franchise. Um, I think that, you know, and and I think he's definitely going to be the face of the twins, you know, when, with it, when it comes to the fact that, um, that, um, when it comes to the fact that the, um, that, that the, uh, that Buxton's always hurt. I mean, um, the fact that Buxton's always seemed to be injured, like he would probably be the face of the twins if it wasn't, you know, even with Correa there, if he stayed healthy for a full season, cause he's so good, but Correa is good as well. Um, you know, he, the, the deal he signed six years, $200 million. 
it has a vesting option, uh, four years for seventy million. So it could be a ten-year, two hundred seventy million dollar deal. Uh, they did meet kind of what the Mets, um, the um, you know, they did meet the 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 asking price. Um, so it's um, definitely interesting to see what what um, you know what happens here. And I mean, this team's kind of interesting now to me. I mean, with me, what we were talking about before the show is, you know, they still have a lot of question marks. But if they can somehow find a way to finally stay healthy for a year, like they were pretty good last year before the injuries really caught up with them. Like Buxton going down, they had uh, you know some pitching injuries like Maeda, Mali, and Tony Gray missed a lot of time last year. Uh, but they they have some interesting teams here players here and i think this team could be you know they're definitely kind of that that division that the al central is interesting that the top three are kind of really close i think this could end up being a postseason team this year so i don't know if we actually managed to get in the the chronological timeline of correa because this actually started during the season last year i want to say it was in the last week damian might know the exact game uh, but carlos correa slid into a base and felt the metal plate that's been in his leg since before he made the major leagues. Um, he felt it jar and that led to him getting it checked out this off season. And, you know, he, he played through it. He, he finished the season. He actually didn't go on the IL and we didn't really see his, his performance get impacted, but he, he noticed it. And so that led to doctor visits and led to, uh, that being the key that the Giants, who originally agreed to a 13-year, I think it was $350 million deal with yeah. Correa, that deal got nixed because the Giants requested a doctor that knew about the leg and the plate, and the plate having been jarred um, in a game last year. So the doctor basically recommended that the Giants not do this deal because um, that he felt like Correa's leg would get worse and impact his mobility. But Correa's been playing since 20. 20- 15 but since this leg injury and has had has never gone on the il for said leg um so i just you know i question the doctor here like it's very clear that we have the evidence that the correa has been good um but i can see where you know you're spending 350 million dollars you want to you know hit all angles there I, i'm surprised that they couldn't work it out but i think correa felt very slighted by the giants uh announcing the press conference and then only then, you know, using this as kind of a way to weasel out of the deal. Um, and then the Mets consulted the same doctor, said Scott Boris. They, they went right to the same doctor. The Mets signed Correa for a 12-year, $315 million deal. And, and again, same doctor. So the Twins benefit from, I think, the Mets and Giants mis- mistakes here. Um, I think this is a, a bad mistake by both teams. Correa is a really good player. This is actually him, I think, on a cheaper deal with Minnesota, but it works out really nicely for Minnesota, and uh, they're going to really enjoy having Correa for multiple years because Matt's right. He he seemed to enjoy his time there. It's going to be a, a a nice little saga with him, Byron Buxton, um, and the rest of that, that team, which is definitely a contender in the AL Central. Yeah, I don't know the exact game that you're talking about, but I do remember reading that throughout this whole saga that we've been dealing with there. Um, you know, with going back to when the deal happened with the giants and then they were going to the, it was the day of the press conference, Correa was literally already dressed and the giants kind of pretty much brought out like, Oh, Hey, now we're worried about it. Literally the day of the press conference, like hours beforehand. Um, and wanted to not even put like things about the ankle. They just wanted to like take the deal to a lower level. And then, Scott Boris got with um, 
Steve Cohen directly got the deal worked out. What was it like a week later or something? It's like a day later. There was, no, yeah, it was no, it was, it was, it was like it was, 3 a.m. after yeah, the presser was. got canceled. That's it was right. 3 a.m. after the presser got canceled. That's right. Because because Cohen had tried to jump in. Steve Cohen had, for the Mets had tried to jump in before the Giants signed him late in the process. Boris had told him they were too far down the road with the Giants already. So then the Mets do it. Then this it was a while until they figured it out. And then we're like, oh, well, they might potentially have issues as well. Then it comes out that they do have issues. They use the same doctor. And then I I read somewhere that the an offer from the Mets had went from like the 315 million or something to like 150 something million with the opportunity to get all the money back or close to the same amount of money back. If he had so many different games or whatever, but they pretty much took it like 200 and something million dollars away from their initial offer or something. Now the twins slow played this entire process. When this off season started, they offered Korea 10 years, $285 million. Yeah. That was what was reported out there. Um, Boris brought four of his own doctors. The Mets obviously already, or not the Mets, the twins obviously felt comfortable with it to begin with. And they ended up getting him on a deal that would technically be $15 million cheaper than the deal they started with in the, his initial offer through this off season. So, you know, I don't know how much of an issue, David, you mentioned he's never had dealt with a major problem with this ankle since he's been in the major leagues. I don't know why it would be such a hard part to put something about the ankle if he dealt with that injury again, or if he had to have a surgery because of that injury again, why you would worry about that. But if he hasn't shown any issues with it, I would think more people would be worried about the back of Correa with what he's dealt with actually yeah. in the major league so far. Right. Um, yeah. More rather than the ankle. So it's very questionable, but at the end of the day, uh, the twins got Carlos Correa and we'll be looking back on this deal in 10 years and saying, where are we now and what success did these three teams have? Yeah. And I was just real quick. I, I, I guess y'all's point on the whole, like the doctors and the team screwed up, but you know, if there is a question about Correa and how, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know how the ankle would work and whatever, you know, whatever issues that might cause long-term. But if there's a question about it, like you're about to put it, especially for the giants, because the Mets have so much dang money. Like it doesn't really, they could sign a $28 million contract and it wouldn't even hurt them long-term. But if the giants do like that could hurt their plans long-term because you know, their ownership's not Steve Cohen. So like, you know, it's one of those things where if this is the guy you're going to sign for that 13 year deal, like in 10 years, you know, if, like he might not even be able to play if that if his ankles you know the doctor might be saying hey he's only gonna be able to play like three or four more years and like that ankle's just not gonna it's gonna his mobility's gonna go away he's gonna have to basically be a dh because we have seen that before not the same injury but like albert pujols look at him i mean after he had that you know the achilles injury like he just couldn't really move anymore and it's cost him in his base running it cost him in his it became like one of the worst players to ever he became one of the worst batting average on balls and play guys ever because anything that was hit on the infield, he would never beat out. I mean, and, and, you know, it affected him like that. That's been a thing that's happened before. So, I mean, I get the teams, you know, if you're going to sign somebody to that mega deal, that's one of the largest contracts in baseball history, not the largest, but one of the largest, like I, I get having some hesitancy. If there's doctors out there that you trust saying, this guy is you cannot sign this guy to this deal because he's not going to hold up I, I so i get there i get the restraint there especially from the giants perspective 
I, I look at this as, you know, how the Rangers just signed Jacob DeGrom, who just came off of a major arm injury um, to a massive deal for five years, which is a pretty hefty commitment. I mean, Correa only has the six guaranteed years um, where with no complications, no issues. But Jacob yeah. DeGrom has a much more extensive injury history than Carlos Correa, you know, and with, you know, major elbow reconstruction multiple times. Like, it, it's the kind of thing that I'm just like, you know, Correa has been very vocal about wanting to get paid well. I wonder if that wasn't part of this where they kind of felt like he was, they could take advantage of this and try to reduce the cost where they felt like maybe, you know, even the twins you saw got, got a cheaper deal here. So that's my, that's my thought here. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, like I said, you know, Obviously, the Giants didn't want him bad enough to where – I mean, if they would have – they signed him to start with. Like, they actually signed mm-hmm. him. I mean, so if they had been floating this out there saying he's not healthy, whatever, we'll sign him. But, you know, at a discount, like, I get that. But, I mean, they you know, they had agreed to a deal. And they knew that when they backed off of that deal, like, even if they had tried to, you know, slow play him or, or try to decrease that deal, like, they initially agreed to the deal. So, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily, like, that they were not gonna. I think. I think they definitely had a problem with the physical. I mean, I, I definitely think that was an issue. And you know, whether it was as serious as it's been led on to believe. I mean, sometimes teams balk at stuff like that when they shouldn't. I mean, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and the Dolphins balked at Drew Brees because they, they said his shoulder might be messed up, and he ended up being like a Hall of Fame quarterback and winning Super Bowls with the Saints. So, I mean, I've I've been on the wrong. My teams have been on the wrong end of this before. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's hard to say sometimes. I mean, but it makes that a lot. It makes the signing a lot riskier if you do think there's a medical issue. And I mean, if you're putting in that kind of money, like it is something that I, I get. And I, I do think the Mets actually offered something somewhat similar to what the Twins did. But I think Correa was like pretty, uh, yeah, pretty unhappy with the Mets at that point. So he was like, "I'm just gonna go back." And they, he, I think he honestly might have been preferring Minnesota all along if they would ever, if they would buck up a, a deal that he would take there. Like honestly, I think he liked it there. I, I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe so, but. Maybe not, but you know, I, th- I definitely think it's definitely think it's going to work out well for the Twins if he stays healthy because he's a good player. Yeah, I think the real issue, and then this will be the the last point of uh, that I have at least. Um, I think the real issue with Correa is having is that they've supposedly talked to five doctors, and it was this one doctor that said they didn't like it, and that's the doctor that two of the teams used, even though they have already talked to four other doctors who said that was fine. Yeah, I mean that's it. it I think that's what his problem with the Mets was, is that, hey, like, you used the same exact doctor as the Giants. Like, what did you expect here? Yeah. But anyways, the Twins did make another move, though. Like, I know we've been spending a lot of time on this Correa deal, but they also did sign uh, starting pitcher Chris Paddock to a three-year, $12.5 million extension. Um, Paddock was acquired, I believe, last offseason or early in the early in the years last year. Um, wasn't that great for the Twins, but ended up going undergoing Tommy John surgery. Uh, we'll probably miss most of the season this year, but they do get him for two more years. I know he was in with arbitration, but it locks up some of his numbers. Um, exactly. Yeah. When was he a free agent supposed to be before this deal? Was it, was he a 2025 free agent? Um, I believe so. Okay. So they might've bought out. I'm not a hundred percent sure. So don't quote me on it, but they might have, they might've bought out a year of free agency with this deal, which makes it a really good thing to do. Um, 
it's a fairly low risk three years. I mean, obviously, if you're going to keep him around, like you're avoiding ARB, you're going to keep that number, you know, at $4.2 million, which isn't too bad for a pitcher that, you know, can be pretty good. Um, this year in Minnesota, you know, his ERA at a 4.03 wasn't great, but in his first 22 innings, he had really good peripherals. Um, he, he, see, he looked pretty good. Um, so then this is a guy who has some talent. So, uh, you know, maybe he will, uh, maybe he'll figure things out. Um, and, uh, he's young and, you know, coming off of Tommy John, we'll see, but, uh, that's a pretty low, you know, a low dollar figure for a guy who has the talent to, when he comes back, maybe, maybe take off a little bit. So he did buy a uh, buy out on a free yeah. agent year, by the way. So that's, that's nice to, to get, you know, so if he comes back and he does really well, you know, you're kind of giving him that security of, hey, if this Tommy John, if it doesn't work out, we're going to pay you a little bit, but you know, you know, we'll, we'll we'll keep you on, but you know, give us back up one year, one extra year. So I, I think I like that deal for for both sides. It's kind of interesting little contract. It wasn't long ago that he was having a rookie of the year level campaign yeah. in 2019 with a really really stellar season. So um, and kind of looking like a future ace at that point. And and you know, he's had some struggles since then, but uh, you know, this is a guy who may very well be very impactful to the Carlos Correa led twins in the future. Yeah. It's going to be pretty interesting to see what that division looks like here in the next, uh, next few years, but the, uh, you know, staying in that division, the Detroit Tigers made a big move and then they, uh, or not a big move, but they made a move and then they also announced <laughs> some big changes. That's what I was trying to say. Um, you know, they traded their lone all-star representative, Gregory Soto, uh, to the Phillies, uh, the Phillies acquired Gregory Soto and Cody Clemens uh, for infielder Nick Maton, outfielder Matt Vierling, and catcher Donnie Sands. Yeah, so this is um, this is Gregory Soto is very wild um, and was getting some results, kind of in spite of his control uh, the last couple of seasons, and he plays a very risky relief game where he gets a runner on base, but he is able to get some ground balls and, and in the right spots, get some guys left on base. Um, but he's also pitching in Colorado and he, or sorry, not Colorado, uh, Detroit, which as we'll, we'll get to in a second, you know, may not be as big of a pitcher's park anymore, but he was getting fly balls in spots that um, I think would have given up multiple runs. So I feel like he was getting pretty fortunate. The Phillies have tried to rework their bullpen, but, I think at the end of the day, it's still just going to be Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado. Craig Kimbrell and Gregory Soto are probably not the most trustworthy of options there. And they didn't really give anything up for him. So this is a, a perfectly fine uh, option for the Phillies. I think Soto's a little more reputation based than he was um, good in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I agree with you on this. Um, I think, um, Gregory Soto is a guy who he's a lefty that throws unbelievably hard, but he has absolutely zero clue where it's going. And his strikeout rates really aren't very good for a guy that throws that hard. I know in 2020, which was a short season, it was over 11, but 2021, a 10.74 strikeout rate is good. But when you're walking over five guys per nine innings, like it's not that good. And then this year, he only struck out less than a batter per inning this year. And uh, still had a ton of walks. So the one number to look at for this year, his home run per fly ball rate was 3.4%, which is pretty much Comerica. Like, I mean, that, that number's Comerica. Like, he's yeah. typically going to run more than that on fly balls. And, uh, and a little bit of luck, too, even for Comerica. So 
Um, you know, he he's just he'll be an okay piece. I mean, he does have that electric arm throwing, you know, almost ninety nine on average this year. So maybe they figure something out with him in uh Philly. Uh I kinda doubt it given their track record on figuring out relievers, but you know, who knows? Cody Clemens is kind of a quadruple a bench bat type guy roger clemens son interesting enough but and then the the tigers um you know they got some depth uh young depth controllable you know p- uh position players i mean nick maton and matt veerling neither one of them are all that great but you know they'll play utility roles matt veerling can probably you know platoon somewhere in the outfield he's got some big league experience the tigers need some guys like this because I mean, this, these options are probably every bit as good as running out some of the guys they ran out last year. I mean, right. like they and they have a tiny bit of upside just because they're really young too. And um, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, I don't think this is a very consequential trade or anything, but it's you know it's something. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how Gregory Soto adapts to Citizens Bank ballpark. Yeah. Um, that's going to be an interesting one, but, but right there, you were mentioning, um, you know, Comerica park and it's been a running joke. I mean, ever since it was built that that is one of the most pitcher friendly ballparks there is in the game. Uh, and the tigers announced that they are going to make some tweaks to that field, uh, for this, for the 2023 season center field. They're going to move in 10 feet from 422 to 412 still is the second deepest part or center field part of a ballpark in the major leagues behind Coors. Um, but the wall heights, they're bringing them to seven foot all around center foot. What our center field was uh, eight and a half feet, right? Center field was 13 feet. And then right field was eight and a half foot. So you're talking about a foot and a half drop in most places and a four foot drop in, or uh, even more than four foot and uh, drop in right center field, which not sure that's going to make much of a difference. Cause not many times you see a ball hit off the wall out there, but uh, keeps the gaps in play for extra base hits, but allows um, you know more homers and more, I guess, home run robberies, exciting plays. They say um, in their thing, but also uh, one of another big thing, which I'm going to be really interested to see how this um, what it brings is that they're building the wall with new materials and padding that's supposed to enhance player safety. So I don't know if that means you know, they're using a different type of rod or if they're going to more of a, um, you know, foam based system. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see because we've seen a lot of outfield collisions into walls the past couple of years that players going full speed, you know, hurt some players pretty seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, moving the out the center field wall in, I mean, it's still so deep 412 feet. I mean, it's, it's still going to be a pitcher, you know, pitcher friendly dimension there. The wall height bring, being brought down, it might help a little bit with that. Uh, I do think it's kind of cool. It'll help, you know, allow for maybe a little bit of home run robbery and stuff. Although, like, as we've seen in some places, like in LA on, in the corners where the wall's really short and stuff, like, it's not quite as impressive to rob a home run if you don't even have to jump. So I kind of hate that part of it. Like, it's a lot more impressive to me. It's and a lot more fun to watch when a guy you know, makes the rare, like, climb the wall and somehow reach up and make the play type thing. Um, but, you know, that'll be fine, and, and that'll help maybe a couple home runs here and there. Uh, and then um, I, I think the new wall construction, that's really interesting. I, I like that. You know, anytime you can do something that's, you know, doesn't, like, change the integrity of the game while helping player safety, I think that's fantastic. So I, I like that a lot. 
The Detroit Tigers last year were dead last in offense uh, in the major leagues. They had four players cross 10 home runs, zero players cross 20 home runs. Uh, you know, and I know the, the ball got dejuiced a bit last year, but that's very, very problematic when your home field is an active detriment to your players. Um, you know, we saw kind of a historically, you know, with happy season from Javi Baez, Jonathan Scope was bad, and Scope's usually a guy who can power, who relies on his power rather, and he couldn't he couldn't get the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, Jimmy Candelario did horribly and got DFA'd. Spencer Torkelson came up and was bad. Riley Green didn't hit that many homers, and his power numbers were low. So I think this is really beneficial, especially for Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, uh, as they try to kind of lead this Tigers team into the future. And then uh, maybe Javi Baez will get a few more home runs as well to, to center field. He likes going out there. Yeah, I uh, I do think a lot of it had to do with the, a lot of those guys with their offensive issues had to do with the fact that they're on the Tigers, and the Tigers are horrible at player development and scouting and stuff, and the fact that they're just – I mean, they're whiffing so much. So, I mean, you can't hit a home run if you can't touch the ball. So, they're uh, they're definitely. I mean, but I, I wonder help. if I wonder if part of that, and this is pure speculation, I wonder if part of it is they know they have to swing harder to get it out of that park. Uh, they're busy trying to hit home runs, and they're busy trying to create offense that way. And I will say, I don't know about Torkelson, Riley Green, but I do know that Javi Baez was not swinging harder last year than he ever has. Like, <laughs> he, was, he swings he swung, normal. That's a normal he swung, for Javi. He swung normal last year. So, Yeah, that's something. But uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, jump over to the uh, National League Central, and we'll start with the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, they signed Wade Miley to a one year, four and a half million dollar deal. And then they also acquired Bryce Wilson from the pirates for cash. Well, this works out nicely for Matt and I, each one yeah. has seen the other yeah. play. Uh, I'll talk about Wade Miley briefly. He was on the Cubs last year and he pitched really well. Uh, he pitched the game Damien and I went to together, uh, and was pretty good before getting relieved by Hayden Wisniewski, who was really good. So uh, I think Wade Miley's time with the Cubs was very injury prone. And, and this deal kind of represents that uh, where you don't know what you're getting with Wade Miley. When you when he does pitch, he's really reliable. He's going to throw strikes. He's going to kick ground balls. Um, but when he's hurt, he's kind of, you know, you can't really rely on him to, to stay healthy. So the Brewers are going to hope that he can give them as much as he can. And for four and a half million, you'll take as much as you can get. Yeah. I second on Wade Miley. Of course, I didn't watch him as much last year as you do, but this is is the Brewers team that really just needs depth in their pitching rotation. They've got two, like they've got an elite guy and they've got a close to elite guy. And then they've got a guy who's really, really good when healthy in Peralta and then they really just need to fill out this rotation with a couple of good pitchers who are, you know are experienced and uh, you know they 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 just you know they they they're not going to ruin your day and Wade Miley's definitely one of those guys i mean he he's pretty consistent like back into the rotation arm and i think it's fantastic for uh, for, for what they need uh Bryce Wilson is a guy who i've been watching a long time he's a he's a former brave came up with the Braves they traded him to the uh Pirates a couple years ago for um for uh Rodriguez the, the closer um uh, Ricardo Richard Rodriguez, Rodriguez Richard Rodriguez I, I, I he was so bad i already forgot his name <laughs> but um but yeah, and then um, you know Bryce Wilson's a guy who, when he was coming up, was a pretty good um, 
he was a pretty decent prospect. He was not a super high draft pick, but he his stuff, his fastball was really, really good. And it's not as good as it was. His stuff took has taken a dip. He never really has caught on at the big league level. Outside of one really, really elite start he made in the playoffs against the Dodgers, like he has been pretty much awful his entire big league career. So I hate to say it. I like Bryce Wilson a lot. I think he's a bulldog on the mound. He's a lot of fun to watch, but um, he's just not all that great. And uh, I mean, you look at his baseball savant page and it's with the exception of the fact that he doesn't walk a ton of guys, his baseball savant page is like entirely blue and his fastball just gets absolutely crushed. He really didn't have that much off speed stuff either. So this is a guy who is purely a, he's got a pretty good body for a pitcher, um, you know, size wise, he's pretty, he looks to be pretty durable and um, you know, maybe you can figure unlock something about him but this is also a guy who's dropped two miles per hour off his fastball velocity since his debut which was in 2018 so not, it's not like he's some 20-year veteran that's lost a little bit of velocity like his stuff is just taking a nosedive since he got to the big leagues and um you know i hate to hate to see it for him but uh he'll get a shot with the brewers he'll play, i doubt he was in their big league rotation though at, at the end of the day yeah he just probably adds to that depth like what you were just yeah. mentioning there for the uh you know for the uh for the Brewers, but uh, they acquired him from the Pirates, and then the Pirates made a uh, another move that I think is probably the feel good move of the offseason, and that's uh, signing Andrew McCutcheon to a one year, five million dollar deal, uh, reuniting McCutcheon with Pittsburgh, where he spent his first nine years of his career, uh, was a former MVP there, and that run from what was it 2012 through 2015, where he fin- his lowest MVP finish was fifth. Um, you know, Andrew McCutcheon is a hero in Pittsburgh and he's returning there late in his career, which could potentially be his swan song. Yeah, I, I agree. This is a, this is a guy who it's kind of like the Zach Grinky signing of the Royals last year. Like this is a guy who he needed to go back to Pittsburgh for one more year and uh, 36 years old. He really hasn't been a very productive big leaguer for a while now. Um, you know, he did have an above average seasons at the plate in, you know, his three years in Philly from 2019 to 2021, but they were barely above average and he cannot play the field anymore. He's strictly a DH now. Uh, you know, hit the, the, the uh, projection systems don't hate him this year. Uh, think he could put up a, another above average offensive season and the pirates really just need a couple guys who can hit and better and a veteran presence. And um, I think Andrew McCutcheon is perfect for them. He's going to bring in some fans to their stadium that want to see him play there again. He's part of kind of, back to their glory days a little bit with him and uh he'll add a veteran presence for some of the young guys that are coming up for them and uh you know he'll provide a little bit of offense for them too so i I love the signing for them and it's not you know super expensive of course the pirates weren't going to sign a super expensive guy so you already know what i'm going to (laughs) ask what do we think is is kutch gonna gonna sneak into the hall of fame here 50 wins above replacement or really 51 and you know he may have one or two more seasons could potentially get back to that 2021 form uh, one more time maybe but um you know he's he's certainly got the pedigree and the prime i just don't know if he has yeah. the longevity but his longevity is better than like evan longoria's so uh-huh. you know i think what i think what's going to come down to is that his longevity has been mediocre well, like that run he had there for those four or five years was really, really good, but he didn't have that sustained run for a long time. 
you know, if he had a couple more seasons where like that 2015 season yeah. uh, where he hit 292 with 23 homers, got on base a lot, you know, still was playing solid defense, then okay. But like ever since 2016, like his best batting average is 279. Even that was high. Like after that, it's really about 250. Yeah, he's had one season where, you know, if you can kind of consider a guy who's a legit, like a solid everyday player, about a two wins above replacement guy, he's had one season above that since 2015. I mean, he really just fell off a cliff after 2015. I know 2017 wasn't bad, uh, his last year with the Pirates, but, um, you know, we talk about the Hall of Fame debate, you kind of compare him to Evan Longoria. I think the big difference is that I I think Evan Longoria has a better chance of putting up, you know, four or five more war in his career because he's still a somewhat productive player um, and he can still play the field a little bit too. So, you know, he can put up two or three more seasons of a two war and get close to that 60 range. Whereas Andrew McCutcheon, I'll be shocked if he gets above, you know, if he puts up any more war. I mean, I know some of the, some of the projection systems are thinking he could put up one to two war this year, but that's going to be tough. And, you know, 50, 50s kind of on the lower side especially for outfielders so uh definitely interesting if andrew jones is struggling as much as he is to get into the hall of fame with like 70 war then and being like the greatest center field defender of all time or, or at least in the, that conversation like andrew mccutcheon's gonna really struggle with 51 war oh yeah he and that's actually where i was going with this and and to be fair remember jim edmonds got five percent off of the ballot yeah. with with more war than this, but Jim Edmonds and Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones also, neither of them got an MVP award and, and Kutch get two or just got one. I think he just, just got, got the one. one. He got one. But you know, that is, that is a feather in his cap. He's got some playoff heroics there in a, a couple of those seasons. It's just, you know, with, with Kutch, it's all reputation based and he's such a, a good guy and, you know, a good dude for baseball. Um, you know, very famous and well liked by everybody. I I do wonder if his reputation precedes him a little bit, but you know that is a, a an interesting question moving forward. And I I think he'll be viewed a lot like Bobby Abreu has, where he'll he'll never get off the ballot, but I don't think he'll ever get more than fifty percent of the vote. It's just it, it's just tough because there's there's going to be so many good outfielders pretty con- consistently moving forward here. I mean, you're looking at like we said, Andrew Jones is not. He's not getting in the Hall of Fame right now, you know, even though he's got the numbers for it rather easily. So, yeah. um, you know, I think he's going, are stickler. But. I think Andrew Jones is going to get in, not this year, but he's going to get in before the ballot's up. He's almost the 70 percent this year, they're saying. So now, hopefully he, he certainly deserves it. So. Yeah, certainly. But uh, we'll jump over to the Chicago Cubs staying in that NL Central and uh, David, they made another couple moves, which I know one you're not too happy about, but they did sign Eric Cosmer to a one-year, basically veteran minimum deal, $720,000. And then they signed Trey Mancini to a two-year, $14 million deal. Um, it basically is a one-year, $7 million with a player option for a one-year, $7 million. Yeah, the, the option vests if Trey Mancini gets 350 plate appearances. So uh, the opt-out vests. So he can opt out if he gets 350 plate appearances this year. Um which I certainly hope he does. Uh, Trey Mancini's really good coming off of uh, having cancer through year 2020. Uh, but that was directly after he had a 35 homer season and a th- 132 WRC plus. Since then, he's been a just about league average hitter, maybe just a little bit better. Um, last year, he was at 116 entering 
September and then went like three for 45 or something and, and cratered his season numbers um, back to league average. But I, I really like Trey Mancini. He was the right guy for this, you know, this DH kind of handing it off to Matt Mervis role that the, the Cubs were looking for. But, you know, Eric Hosmer got DFA'd between um, the Cubs signing Dansby Swanson and the Cubs getting into the negotiation with Trey Mancini. And I think they tried to jump on that. Hosmer is, you know, a former World Series champion. He's a guy who signed a, a mega deal and is, you know, he wasn't performing up to the, the mega deals, the hype. Um, Hosmer did have a really good 2020 where he was elevating the ball. He was slugging a lot. And for a guy who pulls the ball as hard as Eric Hosmer does on the ground, the removal of the shift could very well, you know, help his overall numbers. Now I don't expect Eric Hosmer to go back to being, you know, 2017 Eric Hosmer, but he's, he's definitely going to be a veteran presence in the lineup, a good at bat, uh, a guy who can kind of solidify that first base position. And he and Trey Mancini righty lefty. I mean, that's just, it's just smart baseball. It's smart roster building here. You know, they're going to, they're going to throw those guys out there at DH. And if one of them gets hurt or one of them isn't performing, they'll bring up Matt Mervis and they'll give him a shot. And, and Cosmer costs literally nothing. They'll just cut him. So um, I, I like those moves. There's nothing but upside, but I, I like Mancini a, a pretty good deal more. I think there's, there's more there. Um, but obviously with the, the rule changes, Eric Cosmer could very well, uh, you know, have a little bit of a resurgence with the pressure off and uh, a new team and a new uniform. Yeah, and you know, I pretty much the same feel the same way about those as David does. I think Hosmer might have a little bit more in the tank than people realize. You know, there's some things to still like about him, even though I mean right now he's not that great of a player as a league minimum bench guy and maybe a platoon guy, he's fine. Um, you know, he has put up a even with not lifting the ball, he's been an above league average hitter like the last three years. So Right. That, that's I mean, what's it's wild. Not, yeah, it's not that he's completely horrible and he's a good on base guy too i mean mm-hmm. you know putting up 340 on base percentages most of the time uh so it doesn't strike out a ton good contact hitter uh and then you know trey mancini's kind of the opposite of that he's kind of more of a slugging he does walk a pretty good bit but he's more of a guy who needs to slug so uh definitely interesting trey mancini did cost a little bit more um so you know the seven million dollars a year you know if he ends up if he ends up being awful and he's still stuck with that next year, like the, you know, $7 million a year, you're kind of stuck with that money. Like that still could be a kind of a, you know, that, that, that's some form of real money, but not, not, a, not, a, not too bad, but I do no. think Trey Mancini is fine. I think they're real similar in the production they're going to give you just in different ways. Um, neither one can play defense. And I mean, Mancini's going to slug a little bit more, strike out a little bit more, walk a little bit more, maybe, you know, but he's going to put up a slightly above league average season, just like Eric Hosmer is. He's just going to hit the ball on the ground and contact hit a lot more, not slug quite as much, maybe not walk quite as much, but it'll be real similar. So, yeah, I don't have an issue with either one of these deals. Um, you know, I was I was more on the Hosmer side when this was all happening. I know David and a lot of other people were like, uh, "It's not, you know, it's, we don't like it to begin with," but. You know, I looked at a guy who, if you're paying the league minimum, if you're getting a guy who's able to hit 260 and get on base, you know, 33% of the time and give you about a league average to slightly above league average uh, offensive production, who cares if he doesn't slug 20 homers? Like, that's not a bad guy to have around. Um, He's still walking a decent bit. He still doesn't strike out a, a 
ton. I mean, this last year, 15.3% strikeout rate. Like you take that all the time from a bench guy, like, and he's a good clubhouse presence. I mean, you've never heard a bad thing about Eric Cosman. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a guy you want around your team, especially if you're going to have a young guy like Matt Mervis coming up, you're going to have a young team who's trying to work its way back into contention for a wild card spot. Like Eric Cosmer is a good guy to have around. And especially if it's for a league minimum deal, it's perfect. Yeah. And one more thing preaching in the choir. Yeah. And I was gonna say one more thing with him. His floor is pretty much what you've seen from in the last couple Mm -hmm. of years. Like, I don't think he's going to come in and just be like a 20 WRC plus strikes out every time he gets up there. Like sometimes there's a chance that you end up with one of those guys. And I just think he's going to be a, his upside's not quite as high, but he's got some form of upside and, and, you know, maybe they could figure something out with a swing, but like I think his floor is about what he's been the last couple of years. It's not Absolutely. like he's forty years old either. So if, I, I think his performance has been overblown in San Diego due to the contract. To the con- because oh, because the contract was the contract's not his fault. But when you get when you sign such a big deal when it was everybody knew it was a bad idea in the first place to sign a guy who's, you know, got a high line drive rate, you know, low you know, very reliant on batting average, doesn't slug as much to sign that guy to a really long-term deal at first base. That was always a bad move. And he really hasn't been that bad. Like, it's just, we know that if you're spending that much of your, your payroll on one guy, you really want that guy to perform. Obviously he's not doing that for San Diego, the Cubs, you know, he, he can, he could do nothing for all the Cubs care. They, they just want this guy in the clubhouse, see what happens. And uh, you know, he hasn't ever hit uh, below 253 yeah. since you know since the 2017 contract like he, he's never been a disaster like you said he's just not been that impactful player that he was in 2017 so you know I'm, I'm down for this I, I i don't love hosmer but again for for literally you know the the veteran minimum it's fine it's only upside absolutely well let's move over to the american league east and uh the red sox finally didn't let one of their star players away from them. You know, they traded Mookie Betts a couple years ago. They let Xander Bogarts walk this year. There was a lot of rumors that Rafael Devers was going to get traded or going to walk in free agency after this season. Uh, well, they signed the extension, a 11-year, $331 million extension. Massive deal for Bloom, who's caught a lot of flack this year and locks up Boston's uh, third base role for quite a few years. Yeah, um, I mean, this guy, Rafael Devers, is a really good hitter. Um, put up, uh, you know, 141 WRC plus this year, with the exception of shortened season 2020, when it was just a 108. Uh, in 2019, 2021, and 2022, he's been above 130 WRC plus every year. Um, he's a mixed bag of a defender at third base. There's been a couple years, like 2019, he was really good at third base. This year, he was average. 2021, he was horrible. So I guess uh, kind of going forward, we don't really know what he's going to be there. Although I think most people kind of expect him to be like slightly below league average at third as a hitter. I mean, as a, as a fielder. Uh, but this guy, he's a, he's a really good player and they locked him up for a long time. This is something the Red Sox have refused to do in recent years is lock guys up for a long time. Um, you know, obviously uh, you've got, um, you know, obviously you've had, um, you know, Mookie, Bogarts. So many Bogarts, Mookie, uh, among others have left. I mean, it's been, you know, they've been notorious for not re-signing players. Uh, and, you know, their endeavors is going to be the face of their franchise for a long time. So we'll see if he's able to keep up his approach. He doesn't walk a ton. Uh, his strikeout rates are good. Uh, you know, we'll see how he ages. 
as somebody who's already kind of a you know league average ish third baseman uh, defensively, like we'll see how that ages. You know, I can see a scenario where this contract ends up not being great if he ends up putting up, you know, DH only stats, which. I mean, if he's able to put up a 141 WRC plus every year, the DH stats is fine, even on that contract. But, you know, if it's something like a 120 and he's a DH and he's getting paid like $30 million a year, that's a little bit, you know, <laughs> a little bit much for that. But it, but it shouldn't be too, too bad. He's a great player and, uh, you know, good for the Red Sox for finally re-signing somebody. I love his baseball savant page because it's like average exit velocity, 98 percentile, right? Yeah. Average hard hit percent, 96 percent. Then it's like – Outs above average, 24th percent. Sprint speed, 13 percent. Like, this is very much a slugger. Um, The fact that he can play third base to any extent is a bonus at this point. Um, I think he'll eventually just be a first baseman, and that'll be fine. Uh, He's certainly athletic enough to play in the field, uh, so he's not just DH, I don't think. But as long as he can play some third base over the course of this contract and then swap over to first base DH, it'll be a successful contract. This is a guy I trust to be a, a... you know, MVP level masher for years to come. Um, you know, you don't put up what three thirty homer seasons. You know, this year twenty seven, but one hundred and forty one games and a and a you know dejuiced ball. You know that he's still top of the league in power, top of the league in extra base hits. Uh, you know, he's a clutch hitter. He's, he gets a bunch of RBI. He's a you know good approach at the plate. Doesn't strike out a ton, even though he he does have some whiff issues per baseball savant but this is a guy i trust completely um would have been happy to see him hit free agency but boston does the right thing here and in, in locking him up and he's had the ability to step up in big moments for boston too um we've seen him deliver in the playoffs multiple times um so good for boston for finally locking their guy up um and you know giving some s- sort of stability there um for the long term but uh, let's stay in the American League East, and we had the Toronto Blue Jays uh, signing Brandon Belt to a one-year, $9.3 million deal. Um, the former longtime San Francisco Giants taking his talents to Toronto. Yeah, and Toronto's been looking for left-handed uh, hitters to round out their lineup. They've gone after Kevin Kiermeyer. Um they went after Dalton Varsho, and now Brandon Belt as well. Uh, and let's not forget that Brandon Belt is one year removed from a 157 WRC+. plus. Um, that was pretty juice ball related, I think, but he changed up his swing and launch angle and popped a bunch of home runs. And then last year wasn't able to get to those. Um, but this is a guy who walks at a 10 plus percent walk rate for his whole career. Um, so his approach is going to be welcome in that Blue Jays lineup featuring like Bo Bichette, um, where his walk rates, maybe not as good. I think Varsha is also not super great in terms of walk rate. So belt can get in there and uh, provide that patient at bat with uh, a lot of foul balls and a lot of contact. I don't know how much that power will come back that he showed in 2021. Uh, depends on what MLB does with the balls, but uh, the shift being removed should help Brandon belt a lot. He's the kind of guy who would ground it to the right side. So, you know, I, I like this move for the Blue Jays. He'll obviously, you know, come off the bench, but it's a pretty cheap deal. And the Blue Jays are just looking for quality players to put into their roster. So here's another one right here. Brandon Belt's been solid for years. Yeah, I agree. Brandon Belt's a really good player. Um, he's been a solid role player for the Giants for a long, long time. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, the big thing here is probably injury related. Like he hasn't played a full season since 2019 and even in 2019 or before that it was like the two years before that it was not playing a full season so 
if he can stay healthy, uh, I think he could be really solid. Um, you know, he's a career 356 on base, career 12% walk rate like you are talking about. And, and remember, you know, before the offseason, like everyone was talking about how the Blue Jays have like no left-handed bats. Well, this is a left-handed bat. So that's something that they desperately needed. They got one. I think this is – they got a couple of them actually. I think, I think this is mm-hmm. one that's, you know um, – pretty solid so i think it's a totally fine move for uh for the blue jays yeah it shouldn't be uh shouldn't be a bad deal at all and i'm not gonna miss uh watching him torment my dodgers anymore (laughs) um but you know talking about from one former giant to another former giant uh johnny cueto uh you know resurfaced with the Colorado or colorado white Sox with the chicago white Sox this year uh bounced back in a major way uh, has found the fountain of youth and he has signed a one year, eight and a half million dollar deal with the uh, Miami Marlins that has a ten and a half million dollar club option on that. Uh, it's a super interesting deal since we've always talked about the Marlins having a ton of starting pitching depth uh, with their young guys. And I know we've po- potentially talked about a Pablo Lopez trade, but interesting to see them sign Cueto. Yeah, uh, I don't really think Johnny Cueto is actually like magically gotten better again like back to his old ways but he's i mean he's not going to walk a lot of guys and he's going to eat some innings he's always been able to do that for the most part um until well his giants tenure but uh that's kind of been his calling card and uh he um you know he'll provide some veteran presence for the for the marlins i mean you know there's they got a lot of young up-and-coming pitchers that you know he'll help them some and uh i mean you never know. He'll probably put up a mid four ZRA if I had to guess, and you know, stick in the rotation as a veteran presence and a back end of the rotation type guy. So not not too bad, but uh, you know, that's probably kind of the market value we've seen on those types of guys. And you know, he's also got a club option. So if he does, you know, if it is the fact that he's found it again and he's really really good again, then they could always pick up his option. So uh, I think it's totally fine for the Marlins to do this. And it's pretty fun that the Marlins decided to you know sign somebody. So. It's funny. We know we talk about, you know, good contracts, bad contracts, all that stuff a good bit. Johnny Cueto being kind of a disaster for the Giants has does not get brought up. You know, he was yeah. stellar in 2016 and then after that just didn't play a full season. He was just hurt. And, you know, that's no ind- 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 indictment on Johnny Cueto nor is it on the Giants for the process, but like Man, he just has not been able to stay healthy and then last year he's finally healthy and uh he and Corey Kluber were drinking out of the same fountain of youth i think uh, both of them just cratered their strikeout rate but got a ton of weak contact and pitched a you know 150 160 innings so um i i don't think he it's unlikely that he does that again but i don't think that he can't do it again at the very least you know having that veteran presence in the the rotation with sandy alcantara uh maybe pablo lopez depends on if they trade him trevor rogers all those guys um, I think the Marlins can can only benefit from this, but you know they're they're still really far away given the presence of the strong teams in the NL East. Yeah, I wish I remembered all of the stuff, but uh, I don't. But Jolly Olive has a great video on YouTube about Johnny Cueto. I believe it was like right after he signed, he went through the 2022 season, uh, or really the the career of Cueto. Uh, I very re- highly recommend going to watch that. It's I think 10 or 12 minutes. Um, He breaks down a lot of what happened with Cueto, what Cueto did very well in 2022 um, and what can, you know, you can kind of look forward to that into uh, 2023. But um, I, you know, it's, he's one of those quirky pitchers who's always kind of 
a joy to watch because you never know what he's going to give you. If he's going to give you a shimmy, if he's going to give you a quick pitch, the hitters hate him. Um, so it'll be fun to watch that scenario, but, uh, you know, not much value on the field, you know, numbers wise, you know, wouldn't think from Cueto, but, um, the Marlins also made a trade this week with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, they traded away Miguel Rojas, um, bringing Rojas back to the Dodgers where he started his career um, and acquiring infield prospect Jacob Amaya. Um, basically, the short story on Jacob Amaya is you hope he turns into a Miguel Rojas. He is a glove first potential shortstop middle infielder, um, is has good contact rates has struggled when he jumps to a new level at striking out, but usually gets that in order Um, walks a decent bit, but he's not going to have much power. Um, He's really just going to be one of those kind of glove first type contact guys um, that you would hope would have a career like Miguel Rojas. Yeah. I've always liked Miguel Rojas as a player. Um, He's been pretty solid for the Marlins. I mean, he's been a, you know, a good defensive player and a solid role player for them. A uh, little bit below league average with the bat, but he's really, really good with the glove. Um, you know, and, and I think, like you say, I mean, you're just kind of replacing Miguel Rojas with, a, you know, Miguel Rojas for six years. Um, you know, in in a in a you know a guy who's going to come up and probably end up in a similar manner. Uh, the one thing that I do think is going to kind of suck for the Marlins, he was kind of their like heart and soul player for them. That he'd been there a long time. He'd been there since 2015. Like he was on the Stanton Yelich. Ozuna Gordon team in 2015. So like he, he's been there a long time and um, you know, it, I, I don't, I wonder what that's going to do. Cause he was a huge clubhouse guy for them. So it'll be interesting to see what that does with, with the Marlins. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a totally fine move for them. I mean, they got a guy who's real similar. She's going to, you know, he's controllable. So. Yeah. And one thing to mention with Rojas, they're getting a new manager, new regime in yeah. there. So it's going to kind of that, that changing of the guard there, but um, uh, basically he's going to, Rojas is going to feel probably a utility role for LA. Um, don't think he'll end up being the starting shortstop. I still think they're going to go with Gavin Lux for that, but uh, the Dodgers did make another move official this week. Um, I know we mentioned it at the last, at the end of last episode, um, but they officially did DFA Trevor Bauer this week. Uh, through all his legal issues, he was uh, reinstated onto their 40-man roster, or they had to make the decision um, this last week, and they ended up DFAing him and then subsequently releasing him. Um, so he's a free agent. He can be signed anywhere for $720,000 as well. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time to jump into all the backing behind that. Do you guys have any anything? Um, I mean – I just I think a lot of people are talking about where's he going to sign, where's he going to sign, and I I just don't think he's going to get as much interest as people are thinking. I mean, this is a guy uh-huh. who hasn't pitched in two years. Uh, you know, he he really fell off after the sticky stuff ban uh, when he did pitch in 2021 too, uh, which was kind of a you know something that was had been speculated a lot with him, and uh, you know we'll see when. Um, you know, we'll see what he ends up uh, – what he ends up doing. I think if he does sign with somebody, which I think he probably gets another shot in the big leagues at some point. But I think if he does sign with somebody, it will be for a very cheap deal with a non-contender who's just going to take a chance on him uh, and see if they can rebuild some value there. But uh, I know he's been working on his – you know, on pitching and driveline and stuff. He posts it all over the internet. So, you know, he I know he's been – you know, it's not like he's just been sitting on his couch for two years, but – um, and he wants to get back, but I, 
you know, I just I don't think the markets where people everyone I keep seeing people on social media saying, Oh, we need to sign Trevor Bauer, we need to sign Trevor Bauer and I just don't really see teams taking on that PR hit for a guy who you don't even know if he's gonna be good when he's played pitching again, so but the PR hit and the there's been, you know, some clubhouse stuff with Bauer yeah. too, where he's oh, not yeah. particularly easy to work with in the clubhouse. So, um, you know, ultimately we'll wait and I'll wait and pr- provide more inf- input when he signs yeah. for now. I, I think I'm with Matt. I don't yeah. know that the interest will be there uh, at least until spring training starts and some injuries take place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll jump over to the San Diego Padres. They made a slew of probably a little lower moves, but they did sign Adam Engel to a one-year deal. Uh, they signed Craig Stammen to a minor league deal. And the, probably the biggest of the moves is that they signed uh, Nelson Cruz to a one-year, $1 million deal. I love Nelson Cruz, man. I hope he plays till he's 50. Uh, it's it's nice to have a 40-plus player still hanging out, even though Nelson Cruz was just terrible last year. Um, he did manage to mash up until... 2021 so uh you know he's still got probably a little something left in the tank but i don't think the padres is going to be where he proves it i think nelson cruz is kind of ring chasing at this point so padres is certainly a good way to go hopefully he sticks in the roster all year helps him out a little bit probably off the bench and in that dh spot and then uh you know gets to make a playoff run yeah i I agree i like nelson cruz i think i do think one thing is hilarious in the fact that nelson cruz has is this guy that everyone loves so much yet he's a you know he's a guy who's been suspended for steroids and most people Mm -hmm. who have been suspended for steroids are pretty well hated him and bartolo cologne are kind of two that are like and i think a lot of it's just david ortiz oh i guess he wasn't well he was suspended like a lot of these guys were suspended you know these two were actually suspended for steroids so Mm -hmm. um you know, but yeah, it's interesting that uh that that's the case. But but yeah, I mean he he was bad with Washington last year. Um, I mean I don't know if I think his age just finally started to show. Really, twenty twenty one his age started to show down the stretch too. Um, so uh he he's an interesting player. Y'all were talking about Hall of Fame cases. I do not think he has a shot at it, but it will be very interesting if somehow he played two more years and got to 500 home runs to see what the voters thought of him because that is somewhat possible. I don't think he finds two more years of playing time, but you know who knows? Maybe if he hit 20 home runs this year, then he might get another shot for, for somebody just chasing after that milestone, but um, but yeah, it, it's interesting and you never know. I mean, like, you know, we, we would have said the same thing last year about Albert Pujols and then he came in was actually like a really good player last year. So you never know, but, uh, yeah, the other, the other guys they signed, uh, I actually kind of like the Adam angle deal. Um, I think that he is a guy who is a really good defender in the outfield and, you know, 2021, he had, he only played 39 games, but he had a 125 WRC plus in those in those games and in 2020 he had a 120 wrc plus in 36 games so it's a guy who had has shown for a you know a, a third of a season or a, or sorry a fifth of a season like he's shown just some flashes of maybe not being horrible at the plate and he's a good defender so like i don't know it's just kind of an interesting flyer to take um and uh craig stammen's a guy who's just been around a long time he's a veteran reliever you just never know about those types of guys Adam Engel is Tim LoCastro. If yeah. Tim LoCastro could play a good defensive outfield. So 
Yeah, Adam Engel's not a good hitter, and and no. and he won't he won't be a good hitter. Um, but he will provide good that good fourth fifth defensive outfielder, yeah. uh, for the Padres next yeah. year. And yeah, let me let me clarify when I say good hitter, <laughs> I don't mean like he's going to be a good hitter. I mean like on a scale of a you know forty WRC plus hitter, like Christian Pache level hitter, to a scale of like maybe he's uh just a little bit below league average hitter. That's what I'm talking about as mm-hmm. like. Maybe he's not such a disaster with the bat that he never like, you know, you can't play him. So, not quite. He's not quite yeah. Billy Hamilton bad, but he's, right, he's right. not. You watch there, your mouth at you the plate. Billy is a god. He's a yeah. saint. Um, staying in the NL West, and the Giants uh, signed reliever Luke Jackson to a two-year, eleven and a half million dollar deal. Uh, there is a third-year option that is worth seven million dollars. I believe it's a vesting, but could be a team option. I'm not quite sure yeah. on that. But Matt, you know Luke Jackson very well because he was a former yeah. Brave. Well, let me let me preface this because I'm not going to like this deal. But let me preface this by saying I absolutely love Luke Jackson. He's one of my favorite Braves in the last several years. Um, I think he was criminally underrated for parts of his tenure in Atlanta where people just absolutely seemed to rag on him constantly. But he was, when he was actually like really pretty good, but uh, you know, you're giving a guy, you're not giving him a ton of money, but I can't believe he got a multi-year deal. Cause this guy for, you know, 2021, he was, his ERA was incredible, but he really didn't pitch all that well. He's wild and he only has two pitches and he really can't control his slider very well. His fastball is kind of a meatball. Um, I mean, he – man, I love the guy. I don't want to hate on him. But, um, you know, I, I just – he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. I mean, I, I, I'm shocked that he got, got more than just like a minor league deal compared to like – I mean, you got guys like Nick Anderson getting minor league deals, and then they gave Luke Jackson $5 million a year for two years. I mean, I, I just can't imagine that, but – um, you know, I love Luke Jackson. I will say one other thing about him. He's a fantastic clubhouse guy. His The clubhouse absolutely loved him in Atlanta, and I think he'll do fantastic in the clubhouse in, 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 uh, in, in um, San Francisco as well. I, I think he'll be very well liked there. It's just, man, as a player, like, I just don't see why you would give him a multi-year deal and for that much, for, you know, for not, like, for real, somewhat real money, you know. Maybe they got tied up in the 1.98 ERA last year. That's what I would, yeah. I would see, you know, and ERA obviously isn't everything, but you still do have to have some yeah. stuff to be able to put up said, you know, 198 ERA. So I, I see where the giants are coming from here, trying to kind of capitalize on maybe the lower value or maybe even reduce the single year where he might've gone like one year, 8 million. They'd rather have him at two years for 11 million, something to that effect. Uh, he's only, he's only 30 years old. So, or I guess he's only 31 years old coming off injury, but yeah. Yeah. You know, certainly upside there. Giants are pretty good about pulling, you know, the most out of their pitchers. So uh, I could see Luke Jackson kind of, you know, being solid in the bullpen for the Giants. Uh, and you, the thing is, is Alex Adopoulos and uh, Farhan Zaidi were in the same front office. So he's yeah. probably mm-hmm. getting good intel there uh, when they were with LA. Um, you know, his base salary, I know the luxury tax salary is going to look at five, Point seven five million, but his base salary this year is only three million. You typically see this with relievers who are coming off injuries from the year before. Um, they get a multi-year deal with a low salary in the first year. That I don't know if they're going to be guaranteed to pitch or just not pitch the level that um, you know a normal one would. But if you're going into 
a off season, uh, you know, through this year for a decent reliever arm, then his salary would be one year, six and a half million dollars. I mean, that's not a bad deal. I mean, what, what Craig right. or Chris Martin got what? $8 million this year. Yeah. I mean, and then you have an option for $7 million for the next year. I don't, I don't hate the deal. Like, you're getting him in on the cheap one year deal there. Six and a half million next year is about market value, probably even a little less for right now for a decent reliever. And then you have just about that same value on an option deal as well. So give yourself three potential years for under, you know, league value for a, a decent bullpen arm. And it's a typical Farhan Zaidi move. I mean, it yeah. really is. Um, so I don't hate that deal at all. And I'm, but I am going to hate it when he does pretty good against the Dodgers because. That's annoying. It's coming. It's absolutely coming. Um, but, you know, uh, talking about the Dodgers, let's go to a former Dodger signing with the Seattle Mariners and AJ Pollock signing a one year, $7 million deal um, to probably fill that Teoscar Hernandez role or not Teoscar to fill it, to help him uh, be a part of that left-handed killing team. I don't know what I'm saying. Guys, take it away. He's handling the Mitch Hanager role. There you go. That's yeah, what I was looking that's, for. That's the one. That's what I meant. Matt, why did you say Teoscar Hernandez? I didn't. You did. <laughs> we'll play it back. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, this is a guy who's been at times a really good player. Uh, can somewhat still handle the outfield, but probably probably more of a DH now. Um, he's, had so many, he's had so many injuries in his career. Um, I mean, if you can put up you know, a hundred games, 120 games and give you a little bit above league average bat. He's always had a pretty good bat. I think that would probably be a successful outcome here. It's a one year deal, $7 million. And, and if you can get him to be a fourth outfielder who can hit some, um, uh, maybe DH some, you know, I think that's totally fine for, for him. So, um, you know, $7 million isn't too bad for that. And a guy with some upside, I mean, in 2021, he only played 117 games, but it was a 137 WRC plus. So like he can, he has pretty recently been a very good hitter. It's just a matter of like, can he rebound? Cause 2022 was a disaster. So currently I'm looking at the depth charts for the Mariners. Their outfield consists of Julio and center and he should play every day. Yeah. Um, you know, Jared Kellenick is currently slotted at left. Uh, Pollock's at DH. T. Oscar's in right, which that's I wouldn't do that. That's just the D, this thing. Then they've got Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty and Taylor Trammell. So uh, Trammell's a lefty. I uh, and in Kellenick's lefty. I do believe that they're looking to kind of platoon Pollock yeah. in with Kellenick and Trammell and try to they'll just manipulate the lineup a little bit try to get those those lefties in and the righties in as yeah. needed um you know this is fine honestly I don't like this deal all that much because I think the Mariners have a playoff roster and I think they needed to be more in on Trey Mancini um I'm certainly glad they weren't but Mancini fits this a lot better than Pollock does in my mind and uh, I think the Mariners made a mistake here I I think there was some better options for them and yeah, I, um, yeah. Pollock doesn't doesn't really fit for me. Yeah, I, I do think that that the one thing is they they probably did want someone who's still capable of playing the outfield to a some right. level. So that's probably why they went with Pollock over Mancini. Well, that and Pollock crushes lefties compared yeah. to Mancini, who has not mm-hmm. been very He's good split against neutral. lefties. Yeah, yeah. Um, where Pollock was, I think, two thirty against righties this year and two eighty against lefties. Um, okay. I really like this deal. I mean, one year, $7 million Pollock. And it 
and from watching Pollock, when he gets hot, he can carry an offense for mm-hmm. a week or two at a time. Like he's a really good player, a really good clubhouse guy. Matt said he could still play the field decently well, um, and a big time lefty crusher if that's what they're looking to get with you know platoon with with a uh, Kellenic and, and Trammell. So I, I do really like this deal. He's a he's a winning player, and he's been been pretty decent in the playoffs as well. But um, our last move that we have actually, uh, you know, player wise, the Oakland A's sign right handed pitcher Shintaro Fujimani. Sorry if I butchered that. Um, but for a one year, $3.25 million deal, he's coming over from, I believe, the Hinshon Tigers. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but uh, he's expected to go into their rotation per multiple different reports. I have no idea anything about him. I couldn't find him on Fangraph, so. <laughs> yeah, um, from everything I've seen, he wants to be called Fuji, like the mountain. So he cool. seems like a great guy already. I, I already love him. Uh, I think he'll be off the A's by June <laughs> if he pitches well. <laughs> uh, probably. They, I, I have only bad things to say about the Oakland A's management system at this point. So uh, this poor dude... <laughs> Hopefully yeah. he doesn't get just absolutely shelled. Yeah. Supposedly he is 6'6", 180, which oh is my. like the skinniest human being I've ever heard of. What a wiry he, man. Yeah, and he's can he's thrown 100 before and has great off speed. That's according to MLB.com, which is probably just hyping him up a little yeah. bit too. But uh, his stuff is probably good. Uh, it looks like he had a very high whip with the uh, – so he probably has control problems, if I had to guess. Four hundred, yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, across nine hundred ninety-four innings, this is in the Japanese league with Hanshin, uh Four hundred fifty-nine walks in nine hundred ninety-four mm-hmm. innings. So That'll play. high, yeah, high walk guy does strike out a bit, a, a pretty good amount of guys. But that's uh, that's kind of him. He's got good stuff, but he walks a lot of guys, and he's a veteran. So that's a, that's a really interesting profile. It's not the typical profile you see from Japanese pitcher coming over. Well, it's not the typical body you see from a Japanese pitcher either. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's like he's, a Shohei Utani type, like size, right. you know. Except like not 180, but more like Shohei Utani. Yeah, Utani's yeah, but... a huge dude. Anyway, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he looks like. Um, I'll, I'll actually tune into an Oakland A's game, one of them, just to see him. I'm sure, don't, don't they? They, all, they play the Cubs in in spring training. Everyone I'll, who plays I'll everybody. go find. Yeah, everyone I'll go plays find everybody it. this year. So. Yeah, in spring training. Everyone. No, in, no, no, in regular season. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. In yeah. spring training, the, the Cubs and the A's, I think, share a facility yeah. where, oh, they, where yeah. they play a ton in spring. It's, yeah. I'll get a chance to see him early on. So. At some point. Um, so a couple off-the-field notes that we want to hit on. Um, one of them is more minor than the other, but the first one is Don Mattingly, who is the new bench coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, is joining the Nashville Stars, which is, I believe, the minor league team there. Yeah, if I could is. believe, um, to provide counsel uh, per the article to provide counsel in key strategic matters and help work to gain support for a new expansion franchise in Nashville. Uh, it's something we've talked about a lot recently. MLB is wanting to expand here in the next few years. Uh, Nashville is one of the hotbeds. It's one of the higher ranked places on the list to get one. Uh, we've heard a lot of support from there, and now they're getting a former major league manager and player to join in on that. So, so I'm just to correct what I said a minute ago. The Nashville Sounds is the AAA baseball team there. The Nashville Stars is actually a local management group 
uh, trying to bring an MLB franchise. Oh, so see? it makes I, sense. That, yeah. But anyways, um, it'll be interesting to see if Nashville lands a, a franchise. It almost would, with the way that Nashville is part of the Atlanta market for baseball, it feels like you might have a little bit of a, um, you know, a LA Chargers Rams kind of dynamic there because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of Cubs fans in Nashville too. Uh, a lot of Cardinals fans in Nashville. Um, you know, a lot of people are kind of set on what team they're pulling for there. So it might, you might end up with one of those dynamics where there's a big Rams, uh, Rams Chargers dynamic in LA with the NFL having moved there where like anytime a visiting team goes to LA, like the Raiders or the 49ers, like it's just packed out with a visiting team. I mean, that's kind of how Nash, the a Nashville MLB team might feel to me, but, um, you know, and I might just be saying that because I'm a Braves fan or whatever, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, I mean, but but still, like, you know, it's it feels like that would be tough to start a franchise in that part of the country, but um, but yeah, Nashville's well, a great market for it though. So I can I can only completely disagree so much here. I, I completely <laughs> disagree, dude. Nashville, and I've I lived in Nashville, so I, I at least have a little bit of room to talk here. Yeah, Nashville. Nashville Sound Stadium is fantastic. It is oh, yeah. it is downtown. It's a great location. The issue is going to be they will not be able to renovate that stadium into a major league stadium. No, they have it, to build a stadium. It's only 10,000. They have to build a stadium. Where they build that stadium is going to tell you everything you need to know about whether Nashville is going to support the stadium or not. There's room around Nashville to build a stadium where it's pretty accessible and wouldn't destroy the traffic but national traffic's already horrific in downtown um so you know they're probably going to build it far away from downtown and in that case i think you're going to see of not as many people supporting it because no one wants to get into the national traffic to go to the stadium um so you have to be on the lookout for where this gets built but if Nashville does manage to put that stadium downtown around kind of the, the, the predator stadium that maybe even using, I think the Titans are actually yeah, moving stadiums. Moving a new stadium. They so the if, if they use that plot of land for the Nashville, you know, baseball team stadium, oh, it's in a perfect imagine? location. Yeah. Right. That's perfect. Right. But Literally. if you're, if you're not going to do that, if you're going to send it out into the suburbs, right into Franklin or something, that is going to be a major mistake. Um, I I love Nashville as a baseball town, and, I, and Nashville is a sports town. They support their teams extremely Big well. Time. Yep. The Predators have one of the most raucous fan bases in NHL, yep. and I hate it because I hate the Predators. But it's like <laughs> they are really, really supportive of that team there. Um, so, you know, if you can get the the city actually, you know, get that baseball team located in the city with everybody there, you know, near Broadway, near all the the stuff. I genuinely think Nashville packs out a stadium every night. They'll, you know, it'll be a, a destination stadium as long as they can, you know, in, you know, make sure they don't make that mistake of going way out into the suburbs where it's more of a, you know, country Tennessee stadium, in which case you'll see, you know, not very many people showing up to it. Come on, now well, the Franklin, the Franklin firecrackers are going to draw great crowds. <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm on the side with David here because Nashville is becoming a hotbed of a city around the nation. Like a l- bunch of people are mm-hmm. wanting to move to Nashville or, or around the Nashville area. Uh, it's becoming very, very popular. It gets a lot of support from its fans. Like you mentioned, it has a lot of I mean, for the you get a lot of celebrity support from it because, I mean, that's basically where country music and everything is like those people. You do get a lot of support from people 
uh, from celebrities in Nashville, you know, and when looking at it, I'd rather have, I mean, I was reading an article about this and they want one of the teams to be out West, which they're looking at Portland, but the, they wanted one in that kind of South East region. They were looking at the Carolinas or Nashville. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think you'd rather have the team in Nashville. Cause I think Carolinas is more of a Braves country. Yeah. I mean, than Nashville. Uh, and I don't know if you're going to put an, a third team in Florida. Um, like it just doesn't make sense there. No. Uh, you're the Rays are already struggling. The Marlins the already Mar- struggle. Yeah. Like if you're going to put a team, I feel like Nashville is the one place that you're going to put in that region to really gain a fan base. Um, it, it's the perfect sports town for that scenario. Um, so we, we, sh- we should note that the talk of expansion is great for the sport. It's, yeah. it's sorely needed because we've been in this kind of stagnant a bit for a while. The last time it expanded yeah. was the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. I, mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that they're finally talking about expanding. The way it looks right now is that they'll put one in either Nashville or maybe Raleigh uh, are the two that I've seen. Yeah, and that, then, that's the one uh, I was reading. And too. then they'll put and then they'll put one in uh, Portland potentially and get one up near Seattle, get Seattle kind of a natural, uh, a natural rival, which will be nice for them and another West coast team there. And, and it is Portland considering that Oakland's move to Vegas becomes official. Right. Um, If it doesn't become official, then the, the expansion team is 100% going to Vegas. Yeah. Um, But I, I also think it's possible the Rays team moves to Raleigh and then you have, you know, kind of a, a threesome there, but maybe not. We'll the Rays, haven't they? They could got, also move to Montreal. They're like signed through like 2030, don't they? And, and I'm pretty sure the Rays have like, there's been pretty deep talks on an actual ballpark happening there. Yeah, there Tampa, has been. And actually in Tampa and not in St. Petersburg. That's the biggest issue for the Rays. Like you were talking about with Nashville being in, you know, trying to move mm-hmm. to the suburbs. Like it's way worse in Tampa having to have the, the stadium in St. Petersburg, which is like across the bay. There's not even a second way into that. Like, it's tough. So yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, the last big, uh, big article that we were piece of news that we want to hit on, um, is the robot umps are getting closer to the major leagues. Uh, they are going to be implemented in all 30 triple a ballparks this year. Um, there's going to be two different, uh, styles out of it. And I pulled this directly from the column that Buster only pulled or put on ESPN. Uh, it says the automatic balls and strike system commonly referred to as ABS will be deployed in two different ways. Half of the class triple uh, a games will be played with all of the calls determined by electronic strike zone. And the other half will be played by an ABS challenge system, similar to what you see in professional tennis. Each team will be allowed three challenges per game while teams retaining challenges in cases they are proved correct. MLB's intention is to use this form to collect data and feedback for both systems over the full slate of games to inform the future choices. And as of right now, they don't have a direct uh, set timeline for it to be implemented into the major leagues. I have, I have a major opinion on this, and it's that the challenge system is perfect yeah. for Major League Baseball going forward. Major yes. League umps are getting better. We're seeing the bad umps get called out and have to fix their game, and they're retiring because they're bad. And well, good they're... umpires are getting recognized, finally, for having good games. And 
all we need is the challenge system to clean up those couple of, of maybe impactful missed calls that are not necessarily the umpire's fault, but just so that you have that margin of error so that the game can be properly called. I, I think that's absolutely just the right move yeah. here. I don't think automatic balls and strikes is necessarily the play because we have umpires now that are good enough to call a perfect game. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that, like, you know, I think that sometimes some balls and strikes that will be called balls and strikes are totally, like, unhittable type things where it's not, you know, you you almost have to adjust the strike zone to a certain level if you're going to have a robo-ump because you might have something that's like, like, typically umpires are not going to give you the millimeter up and in on the very corner and the millimeter down and away on the very corner. Because that's right. just almost impossible for 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 a guy to hit, you know. So I think that, that challenge system is a way that that could be, um, you know, that could that could really help that they could still have that, you know, little bit of a advantage to the hitter type thing. But you know, if there's like an egregiously bad call or something, then they can go back and do a that that type of challenge, kind of like how in tennis they have like the you know the autumn the virtual thing. Um, I like that. So I, th- I think that's a great idea, David. I really like that. We've seen it in in play too. There's a there's a clip of it on you on circling around Twitter where yeah you know, the pit, I think it's Jason Dominguez yeah. gets a strike or gets a ball or you know he gets a called strike. He points at the at the ump and he's like, I want to challenge that. They flip they flip the camera to the big screen. The ball you know they show the track come across and it says it's a ball and the ump calls it a ball. They switch the count and they move on. It takes all of ten seconds. It's really the perfect way to do things because it doesn't take away from the flow of the game where. You could still have the arguments regarding those those automatic balls and strikes, and the ump's going to say like, "Well, the ump robot call it, not me." And there's not going to be anywhere to argue. But if there's a challenge, you'll flash it up. That'll be the that'll be the call, and that's it. I just love that. I think it's it's the right direction for baseball. And I think it's going to be the the way players want. I mean, listening to players talk about you know this potential automatic strike zone, all of them say the game shouldn't be perfect. Like they like the human element of having the umpire. It just Mm -hmm. needs to be more consistent. Uh, David, you brought up a good point. We've seen a lot of the older umpires start retiring. I think what we've had 12 step away this year, this off season or something like that. Like, and some big name umpires who, you know, will be known throughout the baseball world um, are, are stepping away. And it's, it's perfect. Like, like Matt mentioned, could you imagine the, the, video board doing that and the entire 50,000 people in the crowd uh, watching the track of the ball come in and then it's just like strike and they're like oh or it shows like ball and they're like yeah like dude that'd be so fun to watch as well um but that absolutely should be the way like the the human element is still needed in the game it's not a game that should be about perfection um and it's it just really is the right thing i mean and the three challenges and you get to keep them if you uh, you know, if you're successful, you'll probably see that number fluctuate. If they do any, you know, collective bargaining, players are going to want more, umpires are going to want less. Um, so you'll see. I mean, if if you have three for the entire game, maybe you might want to bump that to five, just because we do. Who knows? But, anyways, I hope that's the way that it goes. Is the challenge system over right. the fully robotic system? So I hope that it it isn't. I just don't want that many, right? I don't want it to need to be used that much. You just need to use it in those instances where it's like a clear ball, ump sees it as a strike, pit, 
you know, player doesn't want to be struck out on that to end the inning with runners on, right? Those are the impactful ones and you don't want to, yeah. you know, you know, miss those, you know, oftentimes you'll see the ump scorecard and it's like the, the worst call is like a zero, zero count first inning. Right. And the ump just missed yeah. it a little bit off the, off the corner. Cause he's getting the game going, you know, that that's not going to get challenged. So, you know, we just, right. we, we'll see how it goes. And I, I think right. they'll, they'll fit, they'll make the right call here. I'm, I'm confident. I can't wait to see what that would look like in postseason baseball. Could you imagine right. that? But anyways, uh, I know we're running a little bit long, but anything, any last uh, things you guys want to wrap up on? Um, I mean, I think that we've got, like, I was looking at the list of free agents that are left, and it's like, I mean, Trevor Bauer is one that is going to be high profile, but I don't really even know if he's going to have interest. And then other than that, we're almost we're pretty much done i mean there's a mm-hmm. few guys who are maybe a couple of relievers who are somewhat interesting still uh that are out there uh i know that you know like i guess like maybe zach Britton still interesting uh cory canables maybe a little bit interesting i mean you have a couple of like m- more minor pieces like a uh or jerks and profiler is definitely still an interesting guy but um Gary Sanchez, Sanchez, Adam Duvall. I mean, most of these guys that are left are kind of like platoon bats or fourth outfielders or, you know, back of the rotation guys. There's no more free agents left after Correa that are of real consequence Mm -hmm. at this stage. Like they could end up being great this year. Don't get me wrong. But like right now, they're not. There's nobody out there that I'm like, you're going to, you know be like super excited over so uh definitely interesting to see what happens the rest of the off season um i uh i think probably our next few episodes will probably start to kind of you know maybe we'll do a hall of fame episode and then we'll we'll kind of turn our attention toward like maybe breaking down some of the divisions for next year if y'all are interested in that in our next you know maybe maybe our next couple episodes soon so getting close to spring training so in fact you know if we're doing this every two weeks like i think we got two more episodes before spring training so yeah, because we would have the 31st and then the 14th, and I think yep. the 15th is right around pitchers yep. and catchers are supposed to be reporting. So uh, I have about two more episodes before that's officially baseball time. Yep. So it's pretty Let's exciting. <laughs> pretty exciting. But thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we will catch you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks, everybody.